Thanks, Dan. We're going to be continuing our series in Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 5 this morning. I just want to give you a little bit of uh, just church family info before we start. We shared a couple of weeks ago that, well, the sad news that Val Rogers, uh, after a short illness, went to be with the Lord. And um, just speaking with her her family over this last kind of uh, couple of weeks, um, just to say they they would uh, love those who knew her to join the, join them at St Faith's on Wednesday the 31st of May at 10:30. We'll have a, a service of committal there for her. So uh, just do do know you're most welcome. Um, if you knew Val, it'd be good to uh, to be together, church family, to be there with family, family as well, and um, just give thanks to the Lord for her life, but also. We, we grieve, but we know where she is. We, we have a hope. And really, we've, as a church family, we've experienced quite a lot of loss uh, recently, haven't we? In one way or, the, or another. Some suffering is never far away. We're not immune from it. When you start your journey, you follow Jesus. Uh, there's suffering is, is there in everyone's lives in different ways, whether it's from uh, the grief of losing someone we love or even watching them suffer in some way it can be so hard, so painful. Maybe there's physical or mental illness that has brought suffering really close in our lives and we're struggling with, with those things, perhaps on a daily basis sometimes. A relational breakdown or dysfunction can be, be really painful uh, as well. And Financial worries and work pressures and Really, all sorts of things. Suffering is never far away. No one is immune from the pain that comes from living in a broken world. And it will have touched all our lives in different ways. Um, some recently and some perhaps, um, as I say, in an ongoing way. Now, by default, we tend to have, or many tend to have, a quite a straightforward, understandably so, view of suffering. That it is, is bad. We want to avoid it. We want to Get it out of our lives. We want to minimize it in other people's lives. And that's, that's right and good and understandable. It's hard to overestimate the significance and impact of suffering on our lives, the impact it has on our behavior, indeed on our beliefs, the things that we do. It's a, a powerful motivator and influence in our lives. In fact, it is at the heart of one of the most popular and powerful and for some sadly persuasive or seemingly persuasive arguments against the existence of God. You've probably heard arguments of this form. If God is all loving and all powerful, how does he allow so much suffering to go on? We can perhaps understand and rationalize to some extent how there might need to be some small amount of suffering, but but this much, it just seems too much. And so this this question comes in our mind. How, how can God, if he's all-loving and all-powerful, let people suffer so much? The Bible is not silence on suffering. It, it's not uh, awkward about it. it. It doesn't kind of try and sweep it uh, under the rug, as it were, and pretend that life is not the way that it really is. The Bible is, it, it speaks of suffering in all kinds of different ways and sheds light on it. And we haven't got time this morning to kind of go through all of that. But I do want to focus on a couple of verses in our passage this morning in chapter 5 that 
say something strange about suffering, something in, perhaps even shocking about suffering. Certainly when I read it, I have those emotions in me. I'm, have I, is that right? Is that, what, what is going on there? That's, that's not what I would expect. Obviously, I've kind of read these verses before, as perhaps many of you have, but just reading them again, it just, it, it presses even closer that this is something strange going on. This is something surprising to me. This is something I don't live with perhaps on a daily basis. And so I want to call really our, our, the preach this morning just something surprising about suffering. Something surprising about suffering, when we really think about it and when we hear these words. So I'm going to read just some verses from chapter 5 of the book of Romans uh, in our series, Forgiven and Free, and then we'll pick up on just a couple of these verses in a moment. So starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who he has given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, and we've heard that already this morning, his death, his sacrifice in our place, since we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And we're going to look at particularly at verses 3, 4, and, uh, and perhaps 5 as well. Paul has just said how we have peace with God by faith, this wonderful gospel that many of us have come to, to, to delight in and uh, enjoy, that not by working hard enough, not by being good enough, but by faith in what Jesus has done. We have peace with God. God is rightly hostile to sin. He is perfectly good and he won't, he won't accept it. He won't embrace it. It is wrong. And yet we are people that have done things wrong, each one of us. And yet, through faith in what Jesus has done, his death counts for us. That's what the, the blood of Jesus speaks of, his death. This is God himself, the Son of God, becoming a man, walking and living in the way we should have lived and dying the death that we deserved. And now by faith in him, trusting in him, these things are imparted to us through our unity with Jesus. This is what Paul is talking about here, these wonderful things, and we've had opportunity to linger on some of these over the last few weeks. We have peace with God. Hostility is ended. There was a hostility in our heart towards God at one point. We just didn't want to know him, didn't want to do things his way, and yet as the gospel came to us, something in us awoke. Our hearts kind of started to beat again, our spiritual hearts, and we saw who God was as revealed in the person of Jesus, and we trusted in him. 
and we came into this wonderful new life that many of us enjoy. So Paul has been talking about these things, and we rightly rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice that God and who he is and what he has done will be fully displayed one day. Is there something hidden in some ways about it now? But it'll be fully displayed and everything will line up with who God is and we'll be able to enjoy God fully and, uh, and see him more clearly. Now we see in part. So rejoice in the hope of the glory of God that who God is will one day be fully revealed. That makes sense. But then he goes on, something that, I, that is, is harder to understand. In verse 3, he writes, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, that's the first, that's, that surprises me. I don't know about you. Maybe you've heard it a you know, number of times and uh, doesn't immediately hit you as surprising, but that is surprising as I read it. That is strange. That's not what I would expect sometimes. It's certainly not what I think often. And so perhaps I've misunderstood. So I kind of, you, you look at the rest of the Bible, don't you? Am I reading that in the wrong way? Uh, the Bible interprets itself. And so we find, though, this is a consistent teaching of the Bible and experience of God's people, not just in God's Word, but actually throughout the ages, that there is, there is something here about suffering that we're called to count it all joy, as James says, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. This is strange. This is a, a different approach to suffering. This is an, we, we know it, it's, it's not good. We want to avoid it. And those things still stand. But there's another aspect of truth that is being revealed to us here. Praise God for God's word. Otherwise, we would be in the dark about certain things. But something's being revealed to us. And often when I read something, I think, I, I, I wouldn't have thought that. I'm not sure about that. And my temptation is to push back on it. That's when we need to press in even more. No, this is, this is truth. This is what illuminates uh, my path. And so we need to look very closely at what it's actually saying here. Rejoice in our sufferings. So we're going to go through some of these verses. We're going to stick quite closely to the text because I don't want to kind of imagine things or make things up. I want to let, the, let God's Word do its work. And so we're just going to move through some words here. We've looked at rejoice, count it all joy, rejoice in our sufferings. And they're going on to this word knowing. See, why on earth did they rejoice? Well, Paul says we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that. There's something that they knew about suffering. There's something that they knew, something perhaps that isn't in the forefront of my mind. I don't know if it's in the forefront of yours, but they knew something about suffering. It may even be that they'd experienced firsthand something about suffering. Maybe they hadn't been told, but maybe they'd experienced it. And I know many testify here that they, even as they, they experienced suffering in some way, be it an illness or something else, that they discovered something about God in that and that they now know something. There's a different perspective, a new aspect and truth to, to, to apply to our understanding about suffering. Well, Paul is calling our attention to that. They rejoiced in their suffering, knowing that. Again, James says the same thing all the time and trying to kind of cross-reference. Is this really what is being said here? We want to get it right. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, because you know there's something that you know that changes everything, that changes your perspective as you encounter suffering, as we all do in one way or another. They knew it. Maybe they discovered it. Maybe you have discovered this too, this truth about suffering. They knew something. They rejoiced in it because they knew something. Well, what did they know? They know that it produced something. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character 
produces hope. There is something positive and valuable that is born out of the pain and out of the ashes of suffering. James says the same thing again. He says, talking about the trials that we experience, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There's something that suffering produces. And knowing something of this, it changes our response to it. Suffering produces hope. If we often, I don't know about you, but I would think suffering would produce despair, maybe. Maybe suffering would produce disbelief. We've looked at that argument that's sometimes made. When we suffer, when we see suffering, there's some have an expectation that that suffering produces disbelief. Maybe suffering produces doubt. But Paul is saying the opposite here. He's saying suffering produces hope. Can you see this is strange? This is not what you might expect. This is something strange about suffering that we need to know that God's Word is illuminating for us. So I want to look a bit closer at this causal chain of suffering, endurance, character, and hope. I want to, just, I want to keep really close to what is being said here, that it might change my life and might help me, and I would help me glorify God as I walk through this world where suffering is unavoidable. How, as a Christian, how, as a follower of Jesus, do I respond to suffering? in my own life and the life of others. So let's walk through this chain. And as we, this, you would expect suffering to act like this thing demolishing a house or even wearing down a mountain, that it just is, it is, it is destructive. And it is in many ways, but there's something else going on that we need to be aware of. And it seems to me, as Paul describes it, it's more like the growing of a tree than the destruction of a building. And so we might imagine as we go through these words to think first of all as a little sapling, you know, one that pokes through the ground with those two little kind of flappy leaves. And the wind and the rain kind of beats down upon it and the stinging rain smacks against those little leaves. Suffering comes to us in all kinds of different ways. And some commentators will look at this verse and they, this word um, suffering and they will say it's a particularly narrow form of suffering. They'll say it's particularly talking about persecution, being persecuted directly for following Jesus because you're following Jesus. And I think that would largely be in view, particularly perhaps for what they were experiencing at the time. But I think that's too narrow. I think it's talking about any sort of suffering. I think the principles that we see here can be applied to any sort of suffering. In fact, when we suffer, we are plunged into a spiritual battle, no matter what the cause of that is. I think it was Goff, or, or maybe he was quoting someone else equally as wise, who said, when you are hurt, be careful, because your next thought is probably a lie. There's a vulnerability that we have when we suffer. The battle is for the interpretation. What does that mean? What can I draw from that? What inference can I draw? And there's a vulnerability sometimes as we suffer to believe things that aren't true. When we suffer in any way, we are plunged into this spiritual battle. So we need all the resources of God's truth at our disposal to understand how to respond rightly to that. And we'll look at that shortly. But let's move on to this wonderful word, endurance. This is what suffering produces in the life of a Christian. If you're born again, this is the reality. This is what happens when suffering comes. Endurance is produced. We think of our little seedling as the, the wind and the rain beat down upon it. 
And then it starts to grow, even despite, in fact, even through the wind and the rain and the environment that it's in, it is caused to grow and it gets stronger. You think that would be the end of it after a torrential downpour. But no, there it is. It's growing. There's a life in it that is becoming more resilient to the elements. And so our seedling becomes a sapling. For the Christian, suffering produces, I love, I think it's in the King James Version, this worketh. Suffering worketh. It produces, it brings about in our life endurance. Endurance, of course, we're talking about perseverance. The ability to keep going, even though in the face of difficulty, to keep on following Jesus when everything else is causing you or persuading you or, or challenging you to turn away, give up. Suffering does not just test our endurance. This is, what the, this is what this is saying. It doesn't just test our endurance. It produces endurance. Can you see how different that is to what we might have thought going into suffering? Suffering produces endurance. I love it that Dan started the meeting, that we have a God who is able to keep us from falling. He is at work in us, even through the the horrid things that happen to us, even though Satan and the devil and our flesh might do their worst or other people might do their worst. God sovereignly works through all these things to carry out his good purpose. And one of the ways he does that is even though we experience suffering, he works through that to strengthen us. And as we are strengthened, as we endure, as we don't fall away, Character is produced. Now, this is a kind of a slightly challenging word in some ways to translate, but um, just before we go there, just think of our tree. When I think of character being produced, I think of this, this, sap, this seeding that's become a sapling, now becoming a tree, and suddenly it doesn't look so frail after all. If you look at a tree, there's a solidity to it. There's a visible strength to it. In its bark, you can, you can push it. Suddenly there's and, and this is what it's being talked about in character. There's a provenness about us. You start enduring for a while. And after a while, you begin to be changed so deeply and it becomes so visible that actually there is this supernatural strength in you that is enabling you to endure under trial and difficulty. Peter uses a similar word when he talks about the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold. Someone talked about this character as the temper of the veteran as opposed to the raw recruit, the zeal of the raw recruit. Yeah, okay, I can go for it. But after many years, we think of the Navy SEAL, and uh, I've only looked at them on TV, but the Navy SEALs, they go through this, I think, 26-week training, and part of that training is Hell Week, and they put them through all kinds of difficult things. And at the end of that 26 weeks, they come out, they have endured through it. And that's a kind of a sense of endurance. They've, they've kind of gone through this trial. But then something different happens to these guys as they continue on in active service. And you look 30 years down the line, there is something that's been worked deep in the core of a person when they have endured and, and, and whatever they do, the mysterious things that these Navy SEAL, SEAL, SEAL guys do. do. Um, at the end of 30 years of active service, they're changed their character has changed, their resilience has changed. There's a provenness about them, a reliability about them, and a trustworthiness about them. Perhaps you could think of tempering as the way that um, metal is strengthened. If you take metal and you 
and you, if you make a hammer out of metal and you just smash it on a nail, the chances are it could just splinter and fracture. And so metal needs to be tempered. And you put it in, the, in a heat and you heat it up and then you cool it down. And in my mind, I'm thinking of those programs where they're kind of banging away at the sword and heating it up and then putting it in the, the kind of the, the water. They're tempering it so that it has a resilience to it. So when it hits something or something hits it, it doesn't fracture. And this is what happens to the believer over time. As suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character. We are changed by it. And finally, this wonderful word hope that comes. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. And here I think, not to stretch my picture too much, but I think of the leaves of the tree. Suddenly these leaves are kind of full. You go through autumn, don't you, and there's no leaves and suddenly summer comes and there's this, this hope of, a, of, of summer in, in springtime when the, the, the trees are full of leaves. And here it is for the Christian that hope is produced in us, even in the face of suffering and actually through suffering, hope is produced. You can think of it, perhaps if you kind of move away from the horticulture, the, the tree analogy, think of it in terms of, of the smell of a delicious meal. The sort of hope that's being talked about here is not, I want something good to happen, fingers crossed, maybe it will, maybe it won't. But I know that something is going to happen. There's a certainty to it. This is biblical hope. There's a certainty. I know that this will happen. And it's, it is like when you're, you're around someone's house and you, you have that smell of the roast dinner that comes. You know what's coming. Or maybe the smell of freshly cooked bread. You know what is coming. It's not that you're kind of chomping your jaws around on it, down on it right now, but you know it is there. It is tangible. It is a, a real force in your life. You can taste something. There's a, a, a weak analogy that perhaps we could draw. Actually, before I talk about that, maybe there is time to talk about this final word, love. You see, part of the tasting and the smelling is, is God's love being poured into our hearts. Paul talks about that, doesn't he? He says, hope does not disappoint because love is poured into our hearts. That There's this certain hope for the future, but this wonderful a biblical truth is that it's breaking into our lives now. It's not all in the future. As we have this certainty and hope produced even in the face of suffering, God pours his love into our heart in part now of what we will experience fully later. And uh, just, I just did that to complete my picture. You can imagine some fruit on the tree. It's, there's something there to be enjoyed now of God's presence. One day we'll know it in full, but right now there is something. Even in the face of suffering, there's a table prepared before us, even in the, the, the mixed nature of this world. Good things happen, but bad things too. And so I won't labour this, um, partly because I'm not a marathon runner, but I imagine this is how it works. You watch... You watch a marathon on, on TV and you go, that looks great. Imagine that, breaking the tape at the end of that and getting your medal. I would like to do that. And uh, so you go down to your local sports shop and you buy the shoes and you buy the, the trousers, the, the short trousers, and uh, you buy the, the other things that you need for running. Uh, the shoes, did I mention the shoes? Anyway, you buy those things. Great, easy. And you go out your, and I have done this bit, you go out your door on the, on the first day and you feel great. This is fantastic. But after about a mile, it completely changes. Suddenly, this is hard. This is not quite what you saw on the TV. And you stumble back into your house. Perhaps you press through it, but you stumble back into your house. What are you going to do at that point? And that kind of shows what, where, what was implanted in you, what seed was planted when you saw that person run the marathon on TV. 
Did something really grip your heart or was it a passing fancy? Because if it really grips your heart, the harder the task gets, actually, the stronger your resolve to do it and to press through it. And even through injury and even through difficulty. And as you keep going out, a strange thing happens. Your desire for it increases. Your strength to do it increases. And your enjoyment of it is enriched even through the challenge and the difficulty. It's a partial analogy, I know. So I want to move on to talk about reality other than analogies. We're going to ask some questions now in this kind of the final section here. The big, what's the big question that we ask when we suffer? It's the one word question. Just why? Why? And often that word is, it's not, that question's not answered in the way that we want. And we, we have to trust through it. But I want to unpack, there are some other questions that we can ask, and it's important to ask. It's sometimes important to break down that why question. And we may not get a full and a big and a complete answer for that, this side of eternity. But there's some other questions hidden in there that need to be drawn out and put on the table that can be answered, lest they kind of get answered in the wrong way. And our next thought is a lie when we suffer. And I've got to ask four questions. And the first question is this. Can Jesus be trusted? Can he really be trusted? And sometimes this question can arise because we weren't expecting this degree of suffering for following Jesus. We thought, this is not what was promised. This is not what I kind of signed up for when I became a Christian, a follower of Jesus. I thought my life was going to get better. I thought things were going to improve. Actually, things have got far, far worse. And so the question arises, can Jesus really be trusted if he promised us an easy life? But of course, he didn't. Quite the opposite is true. He wanted his followers to know that in this world, you will have trouble. Paul says, you, may, you must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. The logo, if you like, of Christianity is a cross. Suffering is there right at the heart of it. It's the expectation, not the exception. Today, our future hope can sometimes disappear into the fog of a preoccupation with the here and now. And the gospel can get reimagined as a means of present prosperity rather than future hope. And suffering can bring these things into to our attention. What is really going on here? What is really promised in the gospel? What am I really to expect in following Jesus? Jesus says, of course, not just that in this world you will have trouble, but he goes on. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This is what he says. He says, in this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome it, such that one day it will be perfected. One day there will be no more suffering. And even as you walk through it, I can work sovereignly in your life. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And here's a truth that many have found in their own experience, that though they experience suffering, there is a, a spiritual power, a heavenly power at work in them. And the presence of Jesus brings an ability to endure and keep going and even an increase of hope as suddenly we look further ahead. Suddenly the fog of our, of our expectations of comfort now are dispersed and we see what we're living for and what is truly promised to us. This world and all its suffering will be renewed and made right. A perfect paradise filled with God's glory that is not worth comparing to what has gone before is 
coming. And as we suffer, we look more to that. I don't know about you, who's, who started reading Goff's book at the moment? Just met, met a few of us. I just want to say, do, do pick it up. It is so, so helpful. We're just touching in a few minutes on things that are just so helpful for us to spend a bit more time on. And you can do that really profitably and helpfully through Goff's book. And just one of the things that caught my eye in it as I was reading it this week, he keeps reminding us a number of times about Pil- Pilgrim's Progress. Who's read Pilgrim's Progress? Progress. There's a, there's a kind of a, an older one. Yeah, it's, re- it's good, isn't it? There's, um, there's a guy in there, uh, Goff reminds us, called Mr. Steadfast. Might call him Mr. Endurance, Mr. Perseverance, Mr. Steadfast. Listen, what is the secret of Mr. Steadfast? Because plenty come and follow Jesus and fall away. It looked like there, there, was a, there was something genuine going on, but trials and tribulations come and they go, they, they fall away. But Mr. Steadfast, what is the secret that Mr. Steadfast has? This is what he says. The thoughts of what I am going to and of the conduct that waits for me on the other side doth lie as a glowing coal in my heart. That's, that's, what it, that's the heart of endurance. It's knowing the future hope that we have, that he's promised and that we can trust Jesus for. Jesus has overcome the world. Suffering will lose. Hope will win. So for the Christian, suffering now causes us to fix our eyes on this future hope and this coal begins to glow in our heart, this coal, this coal that is put there by the gospel, not just of the here and now and God's kingdom is breaking in in various ways, but we live with an imperfect world right now and suffering walks with us often daily, but we have a future hope when it will go and knowledge of this and a focus on this gives us endurance and God works through it for that. Just going to touch on these other few questions before we finish. The second question that we need to bring into focus when we suffer, and that might be there, in fact, is does Jesus love me? Does he love me? Because it doesn't look like it. I think that's fair to say. It often doesn't look like God loves us when we suffer. We get, Why would this happen? Why would he allow that to happen? Suffering does seem to raise a question mark about God's love for us. It makes it look like God doesn't care about us. But the thing is, we need to weigh all of the evidence. I was going to say elephants there. (laughs) Because there is an elephant to be weighed. (laughs) I've rescued it. There is an elephant. There's something massive that needs to be weighed when we suffer. And the trick is when we suffer, the lie that comes to us is just to go on what we're feeling and what it looks like on the surface. But we, we need to let the Lord take us to where he's answered this question. Does he love us? Our experience might tell us one thing. The pain might tell us one thing. But he takes us to the cross to tell us something else. Paul writes about the cross here in the verses that we've read. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ dies for us. That establishes and proves God's love for us beyond the shadow of a doubt. It weighs everything in the scales, even the difficult things that we face and the suffering that we experience. Here we see as we are taken to the cross and God answers this question, does God love me? We see Jesus dying for us. We didn't deserve it. We'd done everything wrong to disqualify ourselves from God's love. 
And yet he sends his son. God so loved the world, so loved you, so loved me, that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. If we understand how far we had fallen from God's perfect goodness and how high we've been raised in Christ, seated in heavenly places with him, does God love me? Yes, he does. I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand the suffering that we see. But this I know, that God loves me, that Jesus loves me. Amazing love, what sacrifice, that I, the guilty one, might go free. God loves us in Christ. The cross proves his love for us. Mystery remains. And it might give the impression that God does not care, but the cross dispels the illusion and demonstrates that he does. And as we trust God through suffering, not only is hope produced enough as we focus on the future, but his love is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. There is a knowledge of his love as we see in God's word, as we see this historical act of Jesus on the cross. And it's poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The presence of God in us witnesses to us and allows us to enjoy and receive God's love for us. Suffering can understandably cause us to question God's love, but to answer us, God takes us to the cross where we come to an even greater awareness and appreciation of his love measured in the agony that he endured for us. As he shed his blood for us, God loves us. Jesus loves us. Yes, he does love you. He can be trusted and he loves you, even despite and in our suffering. The third question is, will Jesus help me? And here, really, I want to focus more on the, the right now, the present. How will Jesus help me? Can he help me? Can he help me through this? Because sometimes we tire of suffering and we fatigue in our suffering and we feel like we can't go any further. And the lie comes to us that Jesus can't help you, that God won't help you. And the truth is he can and that he does. In fact, his power is made perfect, particularly when we have come to the end of our ability to cope. There's something perfected and especially potent about God's power as we come to that point where we think, I cannot cope anymore. I cannot continue in this. God's power is made perfect in weakness. The Lord gives us the strength we need. In fact, his power is especially potent at such moments. And so I want to just touch on practically. And you know, I'm not going to say anything that's going to be radically surprising now. I think you could probably guess what I'm going to say. But are we doing these things? Are we receiving God's strength and power into our lives by making a practice of these things? Not as works that would earn us God's help and love, but as simply as a means of drinking and receiving it in. This is how we receive. And I'll talk about two things briefly and then maybe a few more. Um, uh, I, that, what can you make of that? I don't know. But I've got two things here. First of all, I want to underline. The first one, as we've already said, as we experience suffering, there needs to be a focus on the future. In fact, often we focus on everything but the two places that we should focus when we experience suffering. When we experience suffering, it's helpful to have a focus on the future, that one day it will end, that Jesus will return, that there is a paradise coming and everything will be renewed. And so we need to focus and thank the Lord for and rejoice in our certain hope. But there's another place to focus and that's on the here and now. That's today, today, because there's grace for today, because the Lord will help us for today. Where we go wrong sometimes is we think about tomorrow and the next day and the next month and the next year. And that's when we move out of what God has promised. But he says, for today, 
Ask for the daily bread today. Ask for my presence with you today. And trust me for the rest. And one day it'll all be restored. So just a word on timing there. But um, how do we do it in practice? It isn't rocket science. There's a temptation in us to pull away when we suffer. And all I'm saying here in the Bible's exhortation to us is to press in when we suffer. When we suffer, we sometimes step away from God's Word and we look for some other means that's going to help us. And really, we want to press into God's Word and let the truth of God's Word illuminate us. And even this morning, it's doing something of that in suffering. It, it shines a light into suffering. It stops the lies getting in that will begin to wear us down. So we press in and we read God's Word. We press in in prayer and petition. We've been exhorted about that this morning already. If you're anxious about anything, if you just think, I can't face the future, I don't know how I'm going to cope with this situation, then we press in in prayer and petition. We say, God, would you help me? This is how we drink. We don't have to do enough prayer that he would say, you've done enough, now I'm going to help you. It's how we drink. We drink in prayer. Lord, would you help me? Please, I've come to the end of my resources, my ability to cope, but I believe you're a God who helps. I believe you can be trusted in times like this. I believe you are my help. Please help me. We press in in praise and worship. Again, the temptation is to, to move away from that. I don't feel like it. My emotions are kind of a, a rock bottom right now. But the exhortation is to press in in praise and worship and rejoice even as we suffer. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but rejoice even as we walk through challenge and difficulty, knowing some of the things that we know about it. To press in finally in fellowship with one another. Sometimes we suffer. Maybe you want to kind of, oh, cat, um, I don't know if it's a good example or not, but when he suffers, he just goes and hides under a bed somewhere. He doesn't want to talk to anybody. He goes completely away. And that's understandable in some ways. But there is also strength as we gather with God's people, as we fellowship with God's people, that when we suffer, there can be a temptation to pull away and to sort ourselves out before pressing in again and meeting again with God's people and doing fellowship. But actually, the encouragement is, particularly when we suffer, we need one another. And God's grace and his strength and his endurance and character can be built with one another, walking with one another, sharing our burdens with one another. So simple things, really, but just an exhortation for us to do, to drink, to drink, not just to be thirsty, but to drink in these ways to press in. Suffering causes us to press into God, to seek his presence and receive his grace as we realize how deeply and totally we need him. And this has been the experience I know of many here, actually, and countless Christians throughout the ages. So here we're just kind of drawing things to a close with this final question. Is Jesus worth it? This is the lie that can come with satanic force when we suffer. No, Jesus is not worth it. But it's a good question to ask if it causes us to go to the testimony about Jesus. It's no good imagining or just kind of working out from what we see. We need to go to what the Lord has revealed about Jesus and ask this question. And for Paul, he wrote this. He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He knew something of the majesty and the glory and the goodness of God as revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. He'd seen a God who was prepared to die for him and take all his sin upon himself and pay for it. He'd seen what God was like. He'd seen the love of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And he said, you know what? Everything else in comparison is rubbish. And he'd gone through a lot of horrible, horrible things. And he said, I just just want Jesus. 
He is enough for me. And this is the testimony of all the New Testament writers. They want us to know that Jesus is worth it. And the cross testifies that Jesus is worth it. And the resurrection testifies that Jesus is worth it. Not just a death, but a resurrection, a new life that comes that we are called into. If we're motivated by ought or should or fear, that, that doesn't help when it comes to suffering. We peel away very quickly. But if we're motivated by love, if we see what the Lord Jesus has done for us, as we see it more clearly, this love of God expressed for us in the blood of his son Jesus, then a love is birthed in us and we love him. We love him and that is a powerful motivator. As we see him, we say, yes, he is worth it. He's worth everything else lost compared to this, that I might, be, I might have Jesus Christ. And as we suffer, we, and if we ask this question, if it causes us to press in and to look again and take a closer look at Jesus and come to see that, you know what? He's gloriously worth it. Then we have reason to rejoice even in our suffering. I wonder if the band would like to come back. We don't seek suffering. It does remain bad. It, it's a, we don't want it for other people. It's good to try and avoid it if possible. But when it comes, which inevitably it does, it's helpful to know that the Lord sovereignly uses it to draw us closer to him, to bring our future hope into greater focus, to get this coal in our heart, to blow on it. Even suffering can cause that coal to grow brighter and burn more strongly in us and see our future hope more clearly as we're energized to walk through the challenges of this life. And suffering can actually also help point others to him as they see something strange and something surprising in you and me. That is odd and perplexing, the way Christians have walked through suffering over the years, over the centuries. That's odd, and it can cause people to look up to the source of that strength. Let's stand together. I would love to pray for us. I've, Father, I've, I've wanted to be faithful to what you've said here. And I want to, we want to honour your word and we want it to illuminate our lives. But we do so knowing that there are many suffering in different ways amongst us and, and those that we know and those that are close to us. So we want to come to you with prayer and petition. And you're, you're the God who wants to alleviate suffering. That's why you came. That's why you died on the cross. You said, you know what? I will experience the suffering that was coming to you because of your sin. You're the God who wants to alleviate. You're the God who has compassion. You're the God who can use even the worst the enemy can throw at us and work it for good. And so I ask in Jesus' name that you would come and bring comfort to those who are experiencing suffering right now. I ask that you would strengthen and bring endurance. As you've said in your word right now, so do here and now. Bring a strength and an endurance and a character and a hope into our hearts, even through the things that we suffer. And I pray, Lord God, where there's, where there's ill health, you would heal in Jesus' name. Well, Jesus, you healed this one, this one, this one. You had such compassion that you said, you know what, this stops now. And we thank you, your kingdom is breaking out now. And there are those, this stops now moments. And we pray, Lord, there may be some this stops now moments in the suffering as it comes in different ways. This stops now. We thank you for working through your people, one another in, in the nation, around the world, 
You're a God who loves justice, to alleviate suffering in different ways. Empower us to be those that, that do help those who suffer and bring comfort. Father, we, we, we thank you for all these things, but we're aware in this life that you did promise trouble. And we do continue to experience it in different ways. And so from what we've heard this morning, God, I ask that these questions would be answered in the affirmative, that you can be trusted. Maybe you wanna say that in your heart right now, if in, the, in the challenge and the suffering you're experiencing, how would you answer that question? Yes, we trust you, Lord Jesus. I trust you, Lord Jesus. I don't understand, it's a mystery to me. It doesn't look like you can be trusted, but I look at the cross and I say, yes, you can be trusted. I look to the cross and I say, yes, you do love me. You have answered that question. And so I trust you for what I don't understand and what I don't know. And I thank you for your help, your ever-present help in time of trouble. I thank you for your spirit in us, in our lives right now. I thank you for your presence with us. I pray as we draw on you through the word and through prayer and through fellowship and through worship. Lord, would you strengthen us? Even today, bring strength in Jesus' name to those that need it. Perhaps those that think, you know what? I can't go another day. I can't go another moment. Lord, would you bring that strength that is needed right now in Jesus' name? Lord God, we thank you you can be trusted. We thank you that you're with us. We thank you for the hope that we have. And we thank you most of all that you are worth it. And our prayer is open the eyes of our heart that even as Tim has been exhorting us and leading us in earlier, that we would see Jesus more clearly and in him the glorious goodness and perfection of God whose love we have poured into our hearts. Let's continue to worship now and declare the truth about who Jesus is and press into him, actively press into him and drink in his goodness and his grace and his mercy to us and be strengthened. Lord, may a sapling go to a tree and the tree be in full leaf and the tree bear fruit, even though we experience suffering. For your glory, ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.